You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara in St. Catharines, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestniagara.ca. Thank you for the word, God, as we open up your word this morning. I pray, oh God, that you'd speak to us. I pray, oh God, that every single heart in this place would be open and attentive to the things that you have for us. God, would you push aside distractions? Would you push aside discouragements? Even, oh Lord, would you push aside the doubt that reigns within us? And God, would you help us this morning see so clearly the truth of your word? We love you, Lord, and we're so thankful to gather as a body of believers in this free country to worship our great God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I encourage you to go ahead and open up your Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, we're just going to look at really one verse today, kind of finishing up this topical series on the Word of God, this uh, series that we've been in the last, for the last, uh, this is the fourth week now on uh, without apology is what we've called this series, studying the doctrine of the Word of God. Uh, trusting that the series and praying has helped you become absolutely convinced of the purity and the surety of the book that you might hold before you and know the full reality of what God has for you in this life. And so right now we're just going to read verse 8 and actually start at verse 6 and I'm just going to unpack one verse. Here's the doctrine I really want you to help you understand. It's the doctrine of the eternal nature of the Word of God or the eternality of God's Word. In other words, God's Word is what lasts forever. We can understand that it's written by God and it's breathed out by God. We can understand that it's true, but we also understand this point that this truth lasts forever. It permeates all time, all culture. This is the one truth that will forever stand. Isaiah 40, verse 6. Let me read this for you. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fade when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely, people, the people are grass. Verse 8, the grass withers, and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. This is simply a, a verse. I don't know if we know the full extent of it. We're going to hopefully help you understand that a little bit this morning. But this is a, a, a call of Isaiah calling his people to a message that we so desperately need to hear today. And the message is simply this. When all is said and done, the only thing that matters is God's word. He's calling his people to not be all about and put their hope and their trust and their faith in the in things of this world, but to put their hope and their trust in the word of God alone. It's a message we need to hear today because so clearly I believe that we are just like the, the Jewish people from long ago. We are so easily swayed and we're so easily enticed and we can so easily get caught up in the things of this world. And Isaiah is reminding us today that everything you see around you, the world around you, is one day going to pass away. And only one thing is going to be at the end, and it's the Word of God. Isn't it easy today to put our hope in leaders who only seriously come and go? Isn't it easy today to start putting our trust in revolutionary thinkers that are here today and gone tomorrow? Isn't it easy today to put our hope in people who ultimately every one of us is going to pass away along with our ideas, 
our philosophies and our ideologies. The world is, is temporary, brothers and sisters, as the latest fad. We all know about fads in our day and age, don't we? You go and buy the new technology and what happens? You barely get home and it's outdated and you've got to get the newest one. Diet and exercise fads, they're all over the place. And what's like, this is going to change your life today and then tomorrow, where is it? Something else comes and now this is going to change your life. Paleo, anyone? Paleo, I call it, but sorry if you're into that. P90X, remember that was going to be the thing and then the beach, but all. Where are they? Clothing and decorating, all these fads we have, what's fun and alive today is completely boring and dead tomorrow. And in a world that is constantly changing and constantly evolving, it makes your head spin, you can't even keep up. How do we have some constancy? We have some constancy and some normalcy in one place, in one place alone, it's the Word of God. You can't be sure of anything the world throws at you today, but you can be sure of one thing. When you stand on the Word of God, you will always be in with God. It's what lasts. It's what endures. It will never pass away or spoil or fade. The Latin of this phrase this is the phrase we're going to look at this morning. The word of our God will stand forever. The word of our God will stand forever. The Latin for this phrase, and I'm not good with languages, so forgive me. I'll do my best here. But the Latin for this phrase is this, is uh, verbum, verbum de, de mene in eternum. That was bad. <laughs> Latin. I'll just stick with the word of our God will stand forever. But it was the motto of the Lutheran Revolution, drawing the church and God's people back to the basics of building their theology and their whole existence solely on the Word of God. And I want to tell you today, we need that revolution again today. We need this revolution today in our hearts, in our churches, and in our country, in our world. We need a revolution of the Word of God stands forever. Here's what this means. I'm praying this will be true in our church, in your life, in your home. Here's what this means. It means this. You have to know this about the Word of God. God's Word will speak into eternity. God's Word will speak into eternity. Everything else will come to an end. You will come to an end. But God's Word will go on forever. Even new ministry ideas that pop up, they're going to come to an end. But God's Word is what lasts forever. It says in this passage that everything on this earth, including your life and mine, is like grass. We, are, we, we grow up and then we die and gone and something else. Another patch of grass grows up and replaces us. But Psalm 119 verse 89 tells us that forever, O Lord, your Word is firmly fixed in the heavens. It is fixed. It is unmovable. Psalm 119, verse 152 says, It's your testimonies, O God, are founded forever. The testimonies of God are founded forever. And I, I hear so much today about, oh man, I'm so worried. This, you know, it's becoming obsolete. It's becoming mute. What are we going to do? What are we gonna do? I just want to assure you today. This is assurance to you. I want to assure you today. This book will never become obsolete or irrelevant to us because God promises His Word will last forever. We've already seen this being played out in history. If there's ever a book that's been more maligned and more hated and more people trying to get rid of it on the planet, it's the Bible. Look at history from the moment Jesus Christ went to heaven. It's been an ongoing reality of like, let's try and erase all memory of God and Jesus possible that we can live our own way in our own devices and not be accountable to anyone. And it's been the same true with the Word of God. Ever since the Word of God has been first tried to be put into our languages, the world has tried to kill it and stop it, but guess what? They can't. 
Back in the 1300s, a guy named John Wycliffe was, for the first time, putting the Bible from Latin into English. And, you know, he had a bounty on his head as religion around him. No, don't get this book out there to the people that they might understand. He actually died before they killed him, but the story goes they actually exhumed his body and burned it publicly and put it in the river as a point of trying to show the animosity towards the Word of God. 150, 200 years later, in the late 1400s, 1500s, Tyndale was another guy determined to get the Bible into the language of the people. Also had people chasing him down his whole life. He was ultimately strangled and burned. Yet get this, in both those cases, the Word of God could not be stopped. For we hold it today in our hands. A couple hundred years after that, a guy named Voltaire, a French revolutionary and writer, he said this in his egotistical animosity towards the Word of God. He said this, In a hundred years, the Bible will be no more, except for a piece in a museum or something. Fifteen years after his death in 1778, get the irony of this, Geneva Bible Society bought his house and his printing presses and started printing the Word of God in the guy's very house. The Word of God stands forever. I'm not just saying this biblically. I'm saying this truth from history. The Word of God stands forever. A hundred years after Voltaire died, guess what? His work sold for 11 cents. English Museum bought a piece of the New Testament for $500,000. God will never let His Word become void or mute, even today. You leave this place today, and you know what you're going to find? Everyone's going to want to try and tell you why you shouldn't believe the Word of God, how you should put that thing aside, how you should... They're trying to take the Word of God out of the world in our country today, in our continent today, in our world today. But know this, God's Word cannot be stopped. North Korea today is the place that most places would say would be the, the worst place to live if you're a Christian, for it is a criminal offense to utter the name of Jesus, to say you believe in the Word of God, to actually uh, have a worship service. It is a criminal offense that is punishable by hard labor or death. In fact, in North Korea today, as we worship in freedom, 30,000 of the people in concentration camps are believers. You think, well, it's not thriving there, is it? Uh, check out the internet. There's Estimated up to 400,000 believers underground, worshiping silently, reading feverishly, praying their hearts out in North Korea. You know why? Because God's word cannot be stopped. God's word so much cannot be stopped that even Guinness says that it's the most published and widely spread book. Five billion copies have been printed of the Bible. Nothing else is comparable. And that doesn't include the times where people have sat and scratched a little bit on a paper and given it to a friend or the napkin in in quietness trying to hide because the Bible stands alone. It will never end. This is uh, just some more proof to you as I've been trying to lay out for you proof that the Bible is truly what it says it is. If you don't remember my last three sermons, go back and check them. I'm just trying to cap it all off. Now, this is literally what the Bible says. It's the word of God for your life and my life that is just as relevant today as it ever has been. Somehow, even in the church, we've gotten to this idea 
that the Word of God is full of good ideas and some helpful understanding, but it's really not our authority. It's not what we really need to, what we really need to guide our lives by and live our lives through. And yet, here's what I want to tell you about this whole, this whole sentence. The Word of our God will stand forever is this. God's principles, this, this, this is what this means. It means that God's principles transcend the ages. God's principles transcend the ages. Psalm 33, verse 11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Contrary to popular opinion, the human race will never sprint past the message or the moral truths of the Bible. We'll never get to a point where we evolve past the Bible. We're like, we don't need that anymore. It was good for a time, but we don't need that anymore. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. This is relevant not just to the people, not just to the Jewish people, not just to the people throughout history, but to our lives today. And it's going to be just as relevant in a thousand years to our kids, 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 if Jesus waits that long to come back. We'll never get to a point in society where we say, Bible, who cares? Because God promises he'll preserve his word. Psalm 111, verses 7 and 8, God's precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever. What's a precept? A precept is a general rule meant to regulate thought and behavior. Every moral truth God gave us in his word is alive and real and binding on us today and freeing for us today to live out the way that God designed our lives to be. What must give God so much grief is as we read this, the word of our God will stand forever. So many people will give an intellectual assent to this truth, but then divorce their lives from this truth. And this whole idea is being propagated today, which I want to speak out against. This verse speaks out against it. This, this idea that, that the Bible only carries as much credence as the culture gives it. Have you heard that before? The Bible only really carries as much credence as the culture gives it. In other words, if the culture says it's good, then the Bible lines up, then do it. If the culture says it's not good, then throw the Bible out. It doesn't matter. You ever heard that? It even creeps into the churches today, into Christian homes and hearts. But God's principles transcend the ages. God's word stands forever. In other words, the moral realities that are in the Bible transcend culture. I want to clarify, there are some things in the Bible for sure that are clearly cultural. There's some things there that were meant for, that we don't do anymore or live by anymore because they were for the culture of the day. But the moral truths of the Scripture, different truths, the moral truths of the Scripture and, and commands of the Lord are all transferable across the generations. This is so important for you and I. This may seem like a simple truth to you, but this is so important for you and I today because as I look around the church and the world, our country, our nation, our world, I see believers having just as much confusion over things that God has decreed and said and solidified as anyone else outside the world. 
And I see believers debating things that should never be debated. And, and people, honestly, it's so painful to watch people making a mess of their lives because they're refusing to acknowledge that this principles from this book transcend the ages. And somehow in our church, even we've come to the point we believe we can pick and choose what God would say to us if it fits in with what I think and what I believe. And the result is moral anarchy. And the result is confusion. And now the world looks just like the culture. Instead of the, 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 the church, looks just like the culture. Instead of the, the, the church changing the culture, the culture is coming into the church, and we look pretty much the exact same. And, and that is, quite honestly, it's not only not healthy, it's just plain right, downright not good. And so this truth, I want to encourage you, stands forever. This truth stands forever. Even in the hot topics of our day, even in the things that we don't talk about in church or we don't talk about outside of church because well, people are going to think we're too rigid or too narrow, the truth of God stands beyond culture. That's what this means. It means the word of our God will stand forever. Even in things like sexuality. Even in things like your sexuality, I hear so much conversation. You flip on any news source and you see it on any news source. You hear it in any conversation you'd have in the world. You're even starting to hear it coming into the church, this idea of free sexual expression and gender identity and homosexuality and pornography. And this, man, the Bible is so limiting. It takes away my full experience as a human being sexually. And instead of seeing the Bible as freeing to actually live and be what God intended. We, even in the church, have started to communicate that the Bible is actually limiting you in your full expression as a human being. That's simply not true. It's just simply not true. Now, I don't want to glibly pass over some of these things or oversimplify today because I know these are difficult subjects I'm going to touch on. I'm not going to dive into massive detail on them. I want you to now go from some of these things and dive into the Word of God and see what God says about them. And I know some of these things hit really close to home, whether it's in your own heart or somebody that you uh, love deeply. But quite honestly, God calls us to speak truth and not just what people want to hear. And so we can't talk about the Word of God without talking about how this affects us today in our culture today. On this whole topic of sexuality, all I want to tell you is this, and I'm going to keep going on to some other hot topics that God's word captures perfectly his design on human sexuality fully and wholly. God created us to be male and female. And he's already defined biblical, biblically what manhood and what womanhood is, what sexual expression truly is, and what sexual orientation is. And he has done this, get this, with the best interests of his children at heart. He's defined these things for us so clearly and so emphatically. You know why? Not because he wants to limit you or the people around you. Because he loves you and he wants you to free you to live life by his design and know the fullness of what God intended life to be. And you and I can't be messing with some of these things. And honestly, there's nothing to discuss about many of them. 
in the sense of what is right and wrong. There's discussions to be had in the sense of how do we help people work through it and into a healthy understanding of what God wants. But there's not a discussion into, like, what do you think? Well, I don't know. What do you think? I, th- I think this feels good to me. Does it feel good to you? It feels good to me. Then let's do it. If you've bought into that in your life and you are living out your sexuality, however you feel, or wrestling with that, I encourage you to get into the Word of God. And I'm not saying this to hammer you. I'm saying this because I love you, because God calls us to help each other know the fullness of God in this life. It's not just sexuality. Get the sexuality thing all mixed up, and you know what else comes into question? Marriage. Well, if this is all screwed up, then we have that debate in our country. It's probably over now, but... Who can get married? Well, no one can tell me who to, whether I can get married or not get married and whom I can marry. Well, I'm a follower of Christ, but I'm going to do whatever I want, marry whoever I want. It's just simply not biblical. And it's not appropriate in God's eyes. And you and I are not to mess with this whole idea of marriage. We are trying to rewrite laws that God wrote thousands of years ago. Who do we think we are to decide what Life is and isn't, and and that the creator of all things already laid it out for us. Genesis 2, God made, God God gave us marriage. We didn't, hey, I think it'd be good if you and you guys got together and had kids. I think that'd be great. God already, God decided that for us. He made, he gave it to us. And he says in his word that it's, it's one man and one woman for life to raise a family to honor God as a reflection of the pure and holy and loving nature of God and His covenant relationship with all those who profess the name of Jesus. This is what marriage is. Don't let anyone tell you differently. The Word of our God stands forever. Culture might not agree with you, but the Word of our God will stand forever. It's not just sexuality and marriage. i sure like you, I'm mortified to turn on news channels and see the ongoing debate of abortion and euthanasia and how we can so flippantly treat human life today. The life that God gives. And yet if you look at the Bible, the Bible is pretty clear on some of these things too. And, and the Bible tells us as difficult as life gets and as hard as life circumstances can be, God is greater than all of what we encounter and He alone is the giver and the taker of life. This whole idea of pro-choice Christians, there's it's like an oxymoron, pro-choice Christians. Well, it doesn't say specifically in the Word of God that you can't take the life of a fetus before they come alive. And then you look at some of those commands like, like do not murder, and even, even the medical field would say that there's a living organism in there. It's not, it's not, it's not dead. And so then the debate shifts. The debate shifts a little bit to try and somehow justify this and it's like well you know the heart's not beating until six or eight weeks and you know the baby's really not alive until they take their first breath I'm not a super smart guy but I don't have to go far and open even up a health textbook to realize that the moment conception happens life starts even if the heart isn't beating yet the life has started the life starts nine months before that baby ever takes a breath of physical air And you and I aren't the ones called to make the choice on who should live and who should die. One of the most powerful encounters I had in Haiti was this. Standing before a young guy who was 22 or 23 years old in med school, telling his story. And as he tells it, he starts with, I am the product of a rape. And you're like, wow. 
There's no such thing as pro-life in God's eyes. It's pro-choice in God's eyes. It's pro-life. And now we've even evolved past that. We've evolved past that to this idea that we are basically in charge of our own lives. And if we decide we should live, then we live. And if we decide we should die, we die. And a year and a half ago in the United States, a woman named Brittany Maynard decided that she was going to take her own life. And somehow that became okay. Terminally ill and 29 years old, and I don't think I should have to live through this any longer. I'm sure God's going like, wow. So then this year in Canada, the first one happened in Quebec in January. And apparently this weekend of all weekends, I'm preaching on this, it happens this weekend in, in Ontario. First man decided he's going to take life into his own hands. And yet the Bible says clearly this. It says that we interpret all these things in our culture one way by the word of God. Not what feels right, not what seems right, by the word of God. Genesis 2.7, God is a giver of life. Job 1.22, he is the only one that has the right to, to, to end any life if and when he chooses. The word of God stands forever. Nothing is going to change some of these things. No matter what you believe or choose to believe or choose not to believe, it doesn't change the moral correctness of the word of God. It doesn't change that the word of God is going to stand forever. This idea of situational ethics in the church even, it's astounding to, to say that, that, to think that people really believe, that Christians really believe that you can do whatever you want as long as you say at the end of it, I love Jesus. And it's okay. There's only one ethic according to the Bible. It's not your ethic, it's a God ethic. You and I don't make something right or wrong. Only God does. I'm not telling you this to try and make you uncomfortable or awkward. I'm telling you this because God loves you enough to tell you what is true and what is right for your life. And as believers, we have to somehow come to a place where we stand for the things that are biblical without caving to society, but also get this in a way that it exemplifies God's love and God's truth and God's grace to a world around us that needs the Lord. So here's the tension in this. God's word stands for some of you guys are ready to run out there and get the megaphone out and start screaming. That's not what we're calling you to here. God's calling us to stand for the things that matter to him, to stand for the things that he loves and cares about, and to do so in a world that is opposed, no matter what the consequences, but to do so with truth and with grace. When Jesus came, how did he come? He came with the fullness of truth. He didn't mince the truth. But he came with love and compassion and grace. He didn't come with, with just grace. Love you, love you, come on in, come on in. He didn't come with just grace. He came, love you, but here's the truth that God has for you. He didn't come with all truth. Come on, you idiot, come on. He came like, here's the truth, and I love you enough to tell you the truth. That you might know God and know God's fullness for your life. That's what God is calling us to. Somehow today, what our church is doing, it's shrinking back instead of stepping up in some of these truths that are right and are good and are healthy and holy for people. And we just can't, we just can't do that if we, if we really believe that this is God's word and God's word is true and God's word is right for us. And we, we need to stand on the word of God. The truths of God's word cross all time and culture. So... 
amazing to see that you can go anywhere in the world today and there's a Bible in that country, most countries, except for North Korea and a couple others, there's a Bible. And these truths, they're just as real for everybody as they are for us. God's principles and his precepts don't change. God's not like you and I. Last year, there were some things I didn't quite understand. And this year, I'm like, yeah, you know what? Now that I see things more clearly, I understand better. I've changed on some of those things. I talked to my dad. and like, Dad, you used to stand so strong on these. Why are you changed now? He's like, well, I've learned and I've grown and I've matured. God's not like that. God perfectly sees things perfectly clear and perfectly uh, mature from the, the, whole, the whole picture. He doesn't change. His word stands forever. I just want to encourage you. There's a side to stand on in some of these debates. And that side is always God's side. There's a side to stand on. It's always God's side. It's not the other side. It's not straddling the sides, trying to make everybody happy. It's God's side. There's one side and one side alone. It's God's side. We need to ask for God's spirit of, of love and God's spirit of compassion, God's spirit of humility to stand on that side, not self-righteously or arrogantly, but stand on that side out of love for God and love for others. I know if you're like me, you're like, wow, man, this is, this is straight up. This is going to be hard. This is a little scary. I don't know about this whole thing. I want to encourage you at this. Not only does God's, not only does God's principles transcend the ages, but as you think about this, God's promises apply across the centuries as well. It's not just God's principles that transcend the ages. It's God's promises that apply across the centuries as well. Just like you can take this book and say, the word of our God will stand forever. And so I'm standing there. You can take this book and say, the word of our God will stand forever, which means that God will give me everything I need to stand forever with him. Strong as God's promises were to his people 2,000 years ago, those same promises are strong for you and I today as we aim to live out the word of God in a culture uh, that is uh, antagonistic to God. As strong as the promises were a thousand years ago and a hundred years ago, they are today and they will be in 10,000 years. The promises of God will be, are, are sure and will be true as you aim to live your life for the glory of God. If God's word is a staircase to heaven, then every plank of promise that God has built is certain to hold you on your ascent to glory. And every step up the staircase to heaven on the word of God, you can put your full weight on every step and know that it is not rotten. It will never come loose or fail to hold your weight. The stairs we have in this world, they fall apart. The stairs of God's promises will never fail us or crumble. If you go to my back door in our backyard, we have stairs down to our backyard, then around to the, into the garage, we have a little, a little, it's kind of like stairs, but it's a little, um, platform of wood to kind of get us up from one to the next, about ten planks, and that thing's been needed and replacing for the last four years now, and it's still there. And so what happens though is the, the nails are all rotten out, and there's a three or four of them that if you step in the wrong spot, that plank will be like, boom, and it'll come up and hit you on the side, you know? But it's so cool because it just bounces back into place so you never know which one it is if you don't remember. So every time you walk up to the garage, you're always tiptoeing going, is this one going to hold my weight? Oh, yeah, that's a solid one. You know, is, this, is this one going to? Nope, that's not it. And sometimes we think that that's the way God's word works. And man, if, I, if I'm going to live this out, if I'm going to really stand on some of these moral principles, like how do I know which promises are going to hold me? I can tell you this. I know which promises are going to hold you. Every single one of them. There's no rotten nails in God's steps. 
Every single promise. One commentator counted 3,573 promises. I didn't count them all, to be honest. That's what Google's for. Others claim up to 8,000 regardless. There's a lot of promises. Every single one. If the moral absolutes are true, so are the promises of God as you aim to love the Lord and live this out. Here's seven I came up with for you. As I know, this is, this is for some of you, this is like, this is too much. This is too much. Here's seven promises that will encourage you and strengthen you as you go. Number one is this. God promises you real salvation. God has promised that those who live by faith and turn to Jesus for forgiveness of sins will truly be saved forever and they will have victory. You will have victory over sin and death. Acts 4.12, there's no other name in heaven given by which we must be saved. God promises that if you believe this, you'll be saved. If you believe in Jesus Christ, put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And when you're saved, to get this, when you're saved, here's the promise of God. The guilt and the shame and the power of sin and death is completely gone. Which means even if you struggle with some of the things that I mentioned in the earlier hot topics, if you struggle with that and been there, done that, guess what? Guess what this promise means? This promise means that God can forgive you for some of those things. And God can renew you and restore you and give you a wholeness spiritually in Him again. The gospel will never change, but the gospel will change everything for all those who grasp and believe and accept. Here's another promise. God promises you in this journey a constant companion. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. In other words, he'll be with you every leg of the journey. Not like the pesky little brother who's like, come on, come on, come on. You're like, get lost, get lost. But as in the loving father who's protecting you and watching out for you and is always there as a confidant for you. God will never leave you or forsake you. He's never taken away from the curb yet. And you're like, oh, left a kid behind. God promises that he will be your constant companion. God also promises you this. He'll, he promises you timely provision. Philippians 4.19, God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He'll supply all your what? Not luxuries, not wants. He'll supply all your needs. And as you embark upon this journey, when you need it, guess what God will do? Ding dong on your spiritual heart and he'll give you a surprise drop off of everything that you need on time, in time, not a second too early, not a second too late, every time. Number four, here's what God promises. He'll give you the needed fortitude. He will give you the needed fortitude. God promises us that his grace is sufficient for us. I don't know about you, but many times I look out and I'm like, I can't do this, God. I can't do this. God promises you, you don't have to. My grace will be sufficient for you. In other words, I will give you braces for your knees to strengthen your weak knees and give you courage to live out everything I've called you to. You'll have supernatural strength for whatever you face. Here's the fifth one, overcoming grace. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God has promised us a way out of temptation to give in to anything but God's way. And he will always provide for us a way to get out from underneath it and stand strong for the Lord. That is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It's just too hard. I can't. The pull's too strong. God promises that he will give you and out when you're tempted. And as hard as temptation, as hard as temptation punches, it'll never knock you out when you rely on the Lord. 
God promises overcoming grace. God also promises this, healthy outcomes. Romans 8, 28. God promises that all things work together for the good of those who love Him and serve Him faithfully. He doesn't say be easy, but He promises us that every scenario of our lives, good, bad, and ugly, will produce God's desired outcome in you. And God is always producing good outcomes in you. Even if you can't see it, even if it hurts, and even if it doesn't make sense, God promises healthy outcomes according to His master plan. And of course, the last one that I can't skip on this list of seven, there's so many more than these, these are just seven that I pulled out, is guaranteed assurance. It's like a double promise here. God promises, His promises won't fail. It's like when your kid's like, I, I, I double promise, I, I promise promise, I pinky swear, I promise. God promises, His promises won't fail. Listen to this, Numbers twenty three nineteen. God is not man that He should lie, or a son of man that He should change His mind. Has He said it, and will He not do it? Or has He spoken, and will not fulfill it? The Word of God is the only manufacturer's guarantee you can count on in this life. It's not just God's moral absolutes that stand forever. His promises stand forever too. The Word of God stands forever. I know some of you even need that today. Just need that encouragement today. Those seven things just are speaking to your heart today. Because you are in the midst of a world that is antagonistic to God. And you are facing opposition today. You are in times of intense struggle today. You're in times of confusion and doubt and maybe at a crossroads and don't know which way to turn and you feel maybe like your legs have been pulled out from underneath you and every time you dial a prayer, it just doesn't seem to be anyone picking up at the other end. You just need to know today that God's promises are true. You can be blindfolded. You can take the next step knowing that that plank is going to hold you for all of eternity. I want to clarify here that as you open up the Scriptures and look for promises, because I know some of you are going to go home and looking for all kinds of promises, there are some promises in Scripture that are for certain people at certain times for certain situations. You have to differentiate between which is which. But at the same time, any promises made to the people of God are for you today. And you can stand on them. It's not just exhortation, it's also encouragement. William Kelly says this, as the end draws near... We do greatly need simplicity to rest upon God's Word. There may be difficulties to such as we are, and the Word seems a weak thing to confide in for eternity, but get this, in truth, the Word of God is more stable than heaven or earth. This is what the doctrine of the eternal Word of God means. It simply means this, I can confidently stand on God's Word today. You and I, we can confidently stand on God's word today. Is it going to be easy? Come on, is it going to be easy? I can see the fear in your eyes already. Is it going to be easy? Is it going to be popular? But is it right? Is it good? Is it full of blessing? Those are weak yeses. I'm just being honest. Yes. 
Now is the time, I believe, brothers and sisters, where we have to stand up more than ever before. Again, not with the, the bravado of like, look at us, but we have to, we have to stand up. We, we can't shrink back. We have to stand up as the world gets darker, and it is. The Bible tells us it's not going to get better before Jesus comes back. It's going to get worse. It's like, it's like the, the darkness level. You know those dimmers in your home, and you turn it down, it's dimmer, 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 dimmer. That's what the world's getting. It's getting dimmer, dimmer, dimmer. You can see it in all the hot topics of today. Morality's gone. The world's in confusion. It's a dark place. But when the dark place where the light shines, it shines so brightly. Put a little flicker of a light in a dark room and the whole place lights up. This is what we're called to as we stand and hold on to the Word of God without apology. The reality is, what does our world need right now more than anything else? Not even morality we need right now. What do we need right now? We need Jesus Christ and the hope of salvation. Where do we find that? In the Word of God. This is still and always will be the hope of the nations, no matter where you come from, what color of skin you have, how you grew up, where you grew up, it doesn't matter. This is the hope of the nations. This is why we preach the authority of the Word of God, because we know if we don't have the Word of God, we don't have anything. But we have the Word of God, we have everything. So it all comes down to this. My prayer for this whole series is that you and I, that our church, that, that our homes would be filled with a conflict, that we'd stand confidently on the Word of God today, that our church would stand confidently on the Word of God today, that there'd be a, a revolution in the world, in our community, in our country, that stand confidently on the Word of God today. That we'd practice and proclaim this as God calls us to with the love of God, the love of others firmly fixed in our hearts. We need to get back to practicing this, this, practicing this confidently. Again, if you're still unsure, just read and start asking God, God, if this is all true, I need to know. Show me and he'll show you. Go back and listen to those three sermons again, how I laid out for you, how we can know for sure this is the word of God. We have to practice this. We get to practice this confidently in the world. I'm astounded at how shy we are when we have the truth, how shy we are to actually let be known that we have the truth. It doesn't matter what your professors think, students. You have the truth of God's Word in the palm of your hands. It doesn't matter what your, your teachers think, kids. You have the truth of God's Word in your hands. Not to be a jerk about it, not to be like antagonistic about it, but you have the truth of the Word. You can stand confidently on it. It doesn't matter what your neighbors think, how many eyebrows go up, how many smirks come to their faces, how many coworkers think you're nuts. We have the truth of God's word that we can confidently stand on and base our whole lives on. You can get on this ship knowing that it will never sink or run out of gas and it will take you to your ultimate destination. And you can't go wrong. You base your life on the word of God. Might be more difficult, but it's always right and always rewarding. And we can proclaim it boldly. We don't just practice it confidently. We don't have to shy away from some of the moral things that we know are right. We can also proclaim this boldly. Boldly being with courage, trusting that God will guide your words. 2 Timothy 4.12 says this. It's for pastors. It's for churches. It's for families. It's for individuals today. 2 Timothy 4.12, in season and out of season, preach the word. Preach the word. In other words, when you leave these doors, it's not the end of your spiritual life, your time with God. When you leave these doors, it's time to proclaim the truth of Jesus. To proclaim the truth of Jesus like it matters, like people's souls are on the hook for all of eternity, because they are. 
God's calling us to proclaim this. You don't have to have all the answers to proclaim the truth of God's word. You don't have to have just the answer. I don't have all the answers. You don't have all the answers. It's okay to admit that. But we're called to share and boldly proclaim what we find in this word as absolute truth of a loving God. Astounding to me how we get so excited about telling people all kinds of things, but who won the hockey game, what the weather's going to be like, what you had for supper on Facebook. How many times did you change your shirt yesterday? But when it comes to boldly proclaiming the things that we know are so right for the soul, we shy away. It can't, it can't be. It just, it just can't be any, any longer. We can't be shy about the Word of God. We can't be shy about the Word of God in our homes. We need to teach our kids. We can't be shy about the Word of God in our neighborhoods. We need to tell our neighbors. We can't be shy about the Word of God wherever we go. We don't have to defend it. God's going to defend it himself. We just have to share it and hold it close, but also hold it high in worship and hold it out for people to see and taste the goodness of God that we've seen and tasted. This is the word of God. You could do a sermon on the word of God every week for the next 52 weeks and still not exhaust all the riches of what this book holds. But I've tried to unpack it for you in four weeks that you would be convinced as to the purity and the surety of the Word of God. You'd practice it and proclaim it passionately with your life and with your words that others might see the truth of Jesus. Do you believe the Word of God today? Do you believe the Word of God? Let's hold out the Word of life. To know that we those to know those that we know and love so dearly. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that as we walk through this life, we have an anchor for our soul. We have a hope for all of eternity. It is found in Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Father, I pray today that you'd solidify all these truths in our hearts. God, I can preach them. I can't even make them become alive in me, not to mention somebody else. So God, as we are in this room right now, as we are confronted with the truth of what your moral rightness is and what your, uh, what your great promises are, God, I pray you'd help these things solidify in every single heart here. God, I pray you'd put within us a deep resolve to practice and to proclaim the word of God without apology. And God, I pray for those in this room that would give an intellectual assent to this truth but would not fully believe it in their hearts. God, I pray help them right now. Help them know that you are real and that your word is true. May this start them on a journey to truly seeking. If this word is true, God, it changes everything. If it's not, our life is pointless and hopeless. Help them right now in this moment, Lord. Put belief in their hearts, I pray. For those, God, that know it's true but have chosen to go a different direction, God, I pray that you bring them back. I pray you'd put aside their stubbornness and rebellion against you and their thoughts of, I know what's better, and you'd bring them back, God, to the full reality of who you are through the Word of God. God, I pray that you'd help them get on the side of 
truth, the side of God's side, instead of the side of lies and falsehood on the world's side. For the straddlers, God, pull them over to your side, I pray. May they not be content living a half-hearted double life in Jesus Christ. And God, for those that are already excited and fired up for the things of the Word of God, I pray protect them. God, we know the enemy has a target on their backs. We know he's going to try and do whatever he can to get them off course. And so, God, I pray that you give them a deep resolve to love you and to live in your word and through your word and for your word, no matter what happens. God, I pray you'd help them see the wonder of Jesus and the hope of heaven. And God, I pray you'd help us all live this life as if the only thing that matters is you and your word. For in the end, that's the only thing that's going to stand. And only those who stand in God and his word will stand with him forever and eternity. So help us with these things. God, God, I pray, even as I preach this sermon, that you'd allow it to come forward. You've allowed it to come forward with the spirit of truth, but also a spirit of grace and love and compassion. If anything else has been communicated, God, I pray you'd take that away and instead help people see Jesus. In your holy name, amen. You've been listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. For more information, please visit our website, harvestniagara.ca.